Hey, it's me, Ed Stop, back with another episode of That's Helpful. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to ask you a small favour. It's going to take you less than a minute, but it's going to have a huge impact for me personally, and I'd really appreciate it. Could you please go to the Australian Podcast Awards site and vote for That's Helpful for Listener's Choice Award? I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can find the link in my link tree on my Instagram takes less than a minute, but I would seriously appreciate your help. Okay, this week's episode, burnout. If you feel drained, emotionally exhausted, and like you don't have anything left in the tank, then you may well be experiencing it. And it's no surprise, burnout's on the rise everywhere, but the way we live is making it harder to identify and handle. Someone who's been there is Dr. Michelle Walhouse. She's a fellow of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, and the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Even with all this knowledge, she's still been burnt out at multiple points in her career. And she's written a book about it. It's called The Wonder Within, and it explains the physical effects of burnout and stress on your body. And she's also got some really simple things that we can all be doing to start recovering. This kind of blew my mind. I'm not going to like this conversation. I know you're going to love it. Enjoy. How did you get into this and how did you come to write the book? What's your story? Wow. <laughs> I know, yeah. If you could just give me like two minutes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> How far back do you want me to start? Um, yeah, so I, well, I've been a doctor for 22 years and I guess the first thing that kind of got me into integrative or holistic sort of medicine was was really, I mean, medical school's really hard and I know if there's any doctors listening, they mm. would all agree. I mean, you come out of medical school kind of a shell of your former self and it's just hard. It's almost like the military. They, you know, it's really long hours. It's brutal. Um, there's no love and light in medical no. school. And then, you know, there's there's also not very much support either. Like, you know, as a young person, I started medical school at 17 and, um, you know, you're faced with death, you're faced with terminal illness, you're faced with um, road accidents just all sorts of things with very, very little support for how to kind of manage that. And it's sort of a bit like suck it up and and keep going. And and so I kept going, obviously, and then other parts of my life, you know, um, kind of crumbled. My parents broke up. I broke up with my first, you know, love, um, which was kind of a four-year relationship. And, you know, and, and then probably drinking, you know, too much mm. coffee, drinking too mm-hmm. much alcohol on the weekend and partying and just doing everything that a sort of um, 22, 23-year-old does. But the cracks just started to show and um, a story in the book that that really was, I, I think, very impactful for me. It was the early 90s and I was working in the infectious diseases ward at a big hospital mm-hmm. in Melbourne and at that time, the kind of, I guess the media had really started to decrease the HIV AIDS story, but mm-hmm. it was still very, very much alive and well. And so as a young, um, I was a second year resident and just working in those wards, seeing very, very young men, um, you know, die in the most, oh, just the most graphic kind of ways, like, you know, HIV is just an extraordinary um, illness. And Again, you know, I'd leave the hospital that night and just be just 
shell-shocked, you know. Life was just felt so kind of um, imploding Mm. and, you know, anxiety was just rife and I actually didn't know what was going on and, um, you know, I had this impending sense of doom. I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't sleep at night. Um, And then... I mean, there's there's multiple stories. I mean, I could have picked another one, you know, at another time through that sort of training process. And um, I ended up, uh, I had holidays really early on in the year. Nobody had holidays with me. So I was singing at the time. And so I decided to go to Byron Bay for a, med- a sort of singing retreat. Yeah. And I thought it was like, you know, <laughs> uh, I thought that would be fun. And I ended up at a, a really... Um, full-on meditation retreat and within the first few minutes of arrival people were singing my name and I was freaking out (laughs) and I wanted to run away but I ended up staying and um you know 48 hours later my mind started to relax I started to be able to sleep and I guess it was really the introduction of how powerful things like meditation and connection and um and I guess you know putting myself in my healing journey. Mm -hmm. So I think as a young person, and I think for lots of people, we get sort of told that as a healthcare professional, you just really need to serve. And as much as that's an important part of the job, if you don't serve yourself, then that's a recipe for burnout and anxiety or whatever you want to call it. A hundred percent. And there's there's also this toxic hustle culture, isn't there, that if you're not spending every waking minute working and earning and putting you back into it, you're a failure. So, you know, it's really toxic. Yeah, we've really lost our way. And I think, you know, it's a guilty, you know, people feel guilty pleasures and you know, when yeah. they're resting, it's like they're lazy and it's extraordinary what we've done to our mindset on rest and recreation. Mm. And it's just, I mean, even the word recreation is is recreation. Like it's it's recreating who we are, it's recreating our life. It's it's a it's almost a celebration of the unraveling to be able to then pack it up again. Yeah. It's kind of coming back to the basic ingredients and then building up the cake again, you know, on Monday or whatever the, you know, your work kind of structure is. And we have, you know, we're among some of the hardest working people in the world. I think Australians have definitely lost um, their laissez-faire kind mm. of colloquial um, attitudes along the way somewhere, somehow. And you you really, in order to get them back, you really have to demand for them back. You know, mm. it's it's a very strong mindset that you need to reclaim your life back. Yeah, I think that's very true. And your whole book and ethos that you've come to now, um, I suppose the tipping point that you describe in the book is when, you know, you've been through burnout a few times and then when when COVID hit and you were running your own practice and you, you kind of had no choice but to give yourself over to your patients and to your practice and then you described realizing that it was, you know, you'd given yourself and then you were in burnout, but almost that it was too late to realize to stop, like you'd already burnt out. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really recognize is that often when you realize you burn out, like it's, it's happened two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, burnout is a past tense. Yeah. It's, you know, like you can't relight a match mm. and I was doing all of the right things. I mean, you couldn't have, I was a very good patient and I, I mean, I've been practicing holistic medicine for a long time. So 
I understood nutrition and I understood, you know, brain health and I understood, you know, I was resting and I was sleeping and I was trying to have as much time off as I could. I was doing yoga three times a week. I was meditating, um, you know, doing family dinners, everything, mm. like tick the box and I was, you know, I was doing nine out of ten probably. And But it wasn't enough. And the reason why it wasn't enough is I think my heart had really turned in a different direction. Mm. And that was the one thing that I felt is probably the most missing from the, um, I guess, the, um, the the common kind of conversation in, mm. in a way is that sometimes our heart moves, you know, like it just shifts in a completely different direction. And it doesn't matter what we do in our brain and our neurology and our patterns and our everyday life. If the brain, if if the heart isn't in it, it's just not in it. Like mm. we need a sense of wholeness in which to really embrace something fully. And that requires our brain, our body, our heart, our lungs, you know, our, our whole ethos. And we're so brain driven, you know, we're so, we like the familiar and the brain likes the familiar. We like kind of getting up and doing the same thing over and over. But, the, you know, Einstein's kind of famous thing of like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Mm. And, and I think bringing the heart into it was really a very profound thing for me. And I'd I'd been researching, um, you know, these beautiful aspects of the heart, which are very much, I guess, a miss in, in even holistic medicine, I feel. Like we talk about the brain a lot and we talk about brain plasticity, but we rarely talk about the brilliance of the heart space and how that is so powerful for guiding our life. Mm. When you look back at poetry across the centuries throughout the world and, and through our language and through our words, the role of the heart is actually central to the tenet of humanity and yet we kind of miss that. Yeah. And so what I had to do is even though I was doing everything right from a sort of self-help. Yeah, self-care, self-love, yeah. Yep, I was doing all of that. But really what I needed to do was trust. Mm. And I really needed to trust the fact that I was burnt out Mm -hmm. and that there was a reason for that. Yep. And that I really needed change. Yep. I I needed change like, you know, it's like, you know, holidays as good as... um, um, a yeah, change, change is good, is good as a holiday. holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I really needed was was something new to invigorate my aliveness. Like it didn't matter what I was doing. If I was going to stay in that job, I was going to lose my vitality, my aliveness, and my sense of myself. And it was like yeah. get out at all costs. And but I was so entrenched. I mean, I was running a general practice. I had. You know, there was 10, 11, 12,000 patients on the books and multiple people, you know, were working in that practice and it was, it was a lot. I was enmeshed and, um, and it was really difficult decision, you know, because it would have meant letting people down and making shifts and changes that would have affected the lives of lots of people. And, but I think I I had to choose me. Like, I think like everybody, you have to choose you. And it's, it was actually... Even though in hindsight, it just always sort of sounds so naff, like choose you. But it was the hardest thing I ever did, you know, as a service-orientated person. And, um, you know, I'd worked for 22 years kind of, you know, really as a, you know, working for the service of other people, like putting myself into 
the the recipe of my life was a really hard thing to do. It is like you are speaking to my soul. Like that is exactly <laughs> what I'm going through right now, and I'm sure so many other people will identify with. And um, we were talking about this before we started recording, but the last episode with Ash Amberger, she talks about the um, sunk cost fallacy. This kind of stuck in my mm. head, the idea that, you know, there's this fallacy in our thinking in that if you've invested a certain amount of time, energy or money in something, you're far more likely to continue with it, even though it is completely obvious that abandoning it would be a much better logical solution. And I think mm. so many of us are caught up in that. And then there's like the complexity of identity, you know, the, the fact that now so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do in work. Absolutely. It just makes it, you know, you have a real crisis of like, well, if I'm not this person who's constantly giving, or if I'm not this mm. person who's thought of as tied to this organization, then who am I? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I mean, you know, you chuck a title in there, like I had a title. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, some of my colleagues are professors and, you know, like try being a specialist or whatever or a surgeon, you know, they even have a harder time, I think. But, yeah, chuck a title in there and you, you're enmeshed as well. Um, I totally agree. And I think we really need to 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 see you know life as 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 just as such an important experience an opportunity uh, you know for new perspectives mm. and i love the, the you know the young people coming through are really talking about three four five careers i mean how exciting for them to be able to kind of see the potential and 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 make changes really quickly because it really is the elixir of yeah. aliveness is change it it really it's like Oh my God, I could change my life. How exciting. And you know, it is always terrifying. possible. Always possible. Always possible. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with. Like, like, I can't. Like, I've got a mortgage or I've got a yeah. this. It's like, oh, that's your choice. Yeah. You have mm -hmm. you've made that mm -hmm. choice. You can make another choice. Mm -hmm. It really is possible. But the feeling of stuckness is almost a part of the burnout feeling. Yeah. And I, you know, that. The lack of empathy, the cynicism, the stuckness, the resentment is almost part and parcel. I mean, we don't talk about that in the um, in the criteria for diagnosis, but when I speak to people, you know, there is that. Um, it's not just an exhaustion; it's an exhaust it's an exhaustion of the soul. Oh, really, I am here right like, now. Oh, this is me. Gosh. This is me, a hundred percent. And you can't. And and it's really difficult to take like to to bring words to burnout mm. because it's so um i think it's so complete in the brain yep. because our language comes from only one side of our um, brain mm. and so you know often we can we can discuss things that are symptomatology that we can feel that we can see that are much more tangible but i think the intangible nature of burnout doesn't have a language to it and so we have to feel our way through that mm. And I think that's a really important thing. And I don't think we're great at actually feeling and sensing our bodies. No, we're not. Because we live in a culture that almost rejects emotional nuance. Mm -hmm. And I really love, you know, that's what I wanted the book to be, a kind of storytelling experience that people could understand the importance of their own felt sense in life. Mm. It really is 
their own essence of their aliveness. I can't remember where I heard this, but recently I, somebody said to me or I read it somewhere, like I read a lot of self-help and self-improvement stuff and I'm really interested in it. Not all of it I love, but I tend to take something from everything. And the one thing that I, I'll have to find out where it was from, but the one thing that I really loved, because we've done episodes on intuitive eating, like getting back in touch with your body, self-care for very busy people. Um, one of the things that I heard was um, we spend our entire adult lives relearning what we knew as children. Mm. It's just reconnecting with your body, like understanding even, you know, even the basics. Like we don't even know if we're full or not anymore. Like we can't, do you know what I mean? Like we can't even recognize what we want to eat. If, and we, mm. if we can't serve our bodies in that most basic way, how do we have any idea of how we're actually feeling or whether we've got burnout? Mm. I know only recently I started listening to this book. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's um, by a woman in the US and it's about that cycle, unraveling the cycle of burnout. And she's very, very interesting. Emily Negosi, I think she's called. Um, and I started reading that. And only when I was listening to it, I didn't pick it up because I thought I had burnout. But only when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, my God, I totally have burnout. Because And it, it's yeah. just not a thing. And it's almost like, you know, it's not a thing we're made aware of because in our society, in our culture, you know, everybody says it's okay to say that you're not okay. But to say that you've got burnout is almost like you're like, you, you tapping out or you, you're, mm. it's just like, oh, okay, well, you're giving up then. Yeah. And I think it's, it, I think it's more than just the individual. Mm. I mean, the, the particular culture and community that we live in is is actually just a recipe for burnout. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think it's a perfect storm for burnout, just the, the pace of life, yeah. you know, the addition of social media, the addition of of um, the calamity of what's kind of going on, you know, in the world situation at the moment. I think the way that um, I guess, you know, my generation has kind of been brought up to strive and to and to to work and to serve almost in a post fifties kind of. Yeah. It's like a post-war mentality, isn't it? And then social media got on that and like kind of like optimize this hustle culture, like this grind and the fact that you have to be sacrificing everything. You have to be permanently pushing yourself to the edge of insan, uh, you know, the edge of all reason to be able to be mm. doing anything. And that's the only way you can be rewarded. And I think people are really waking up to the fact that that's not true. Well, it's not true. And I think, you know, when you add, you know, children and, yeah. and those kind of things, like, I mean, I think women of my generation, it, like we were told that we could have it all. Like we yeah. were sort of, you know, the, the first generation that had sort of mass career opportunities, like mass career opportunities. I mean, in every. And not only that you could, but that you should have it all. Yeah, that's right. And then you put children in and children are just an extraordinary workload. Mm. from not just a physical but a mental workload yeah and then then you've got social media and and sort of you know being able to be emailed and text and um connected all the time to all the time mm. I mean it's like well maybe the problem is the people who don't who are not burnt out yeah <laughs> How could you not be better in that situation? <laughs> like that is the recipe. That's you know, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So if we're listening to this, and you know, like me, kind of thinking, oh my god, I think that might be me. I know you say that there's not like a definitive list of symptoms of burnout, but what are the, some of the things that we might be experiencing if we are? 
Well, I think physical exhaustion is one. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not really a physically exhausted person, so I didn't get physically exhausted, but I got mentally exhausted. I had to like yeah. drag myself out of, of bed and it wasn't a depression. Yeah. Um, although I guess, you know, some people might describe it as it definitely didn't feel like a depression. It was just a, it was a real, I had to drag myself to that um, particular role that I was playing. And then, um, and then resentment and lacking empathy and cynicism are kind of really critical aspects of it. Mm. So often it was like, um, you know, you can't care as much. You become kind of more cynical, like you don't feel like the productivity is worth it. It's like, mm. oh, I'm just gonna I'm just on a rat wheel here and not much of what I'm say is gonna do anything. Mm. So you become like it's sort of burnt out in that particular way. Yeah. Um they're really pathognomonic, I think, of it. And then also it doesn't lighten up, you know, easily. Like it's it's something that when you go away on a holiday, like you might go away for two weeks and you might have a fantastic time, but that's not enough. You know, yep. you come back and very, you know, within, you know, an hour or a day or two, it's back to feeling that same sense of drag and dread. Oh, wow, yeah. And I think they're they're really important kind of aspects as well. And then the other thing that I felt is just such a a busy mind, but not a racing mind, but a full mind, like as if there is no room left. Yep. (laughs) Like any little, um, just any little aberration or slight, like if you put 1% more in, it's like, oh, my God, you're just literally on the edge of enoughness um and I mean really again like I think life and what recreation and what stillness and rest allows you to do is sort of you know let's say our life is a bucket it just lets the bucket kind of sit at sort of two-thirds to three-quarter full but in burnout you're definitely at 99 to 100 percent full bucket yeah and so you know you put another drop in and you're dribbling you know over the sides it's um it has that quality to it. Mm. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of what you talk, we'll talk about some of the um, things we, we can do to tackle it later on. But a lot of the, what you're, you talk about in the book is about the fact that, you know, we really have to start looking at burnout, not just from the mental symptoms, but the fact that being chronically stressed can be physically incredibly detrimental to our health. Mm. And I think we've normalized stress. Yeah. Like we, we, you know, you were talking about intuitive eating and we just don't even know that we're full. Yeah. Some people don't even know that they're stressed. I you get know, that. I don't know that I'm stressed. Mm. Definitely. A hundred percent. I don't know that I'm stressed. And then I get like an IBS flare up or like all my gums will flare up and, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get like, like I have genuinely had a headache for the past week. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not even kidding, you know, and I'm still like, no, I'm not stressed. You know, but that's so true, right, that we don't even, we can't even recognise stress anymore. I totally align with that. Yeah, that's right. And I think the thing, the really important thing that I often teach my patients is that the the physiological or biological chemical response to stress is exactly the same regardless of what stress it is. Interesting. So let's let's say you go for an operation or you Mm. have a major injury or you break up with a partner or you have a work deadline or you have, you know, burnout. It's Mm. exactly the same physiological response within the body. 
And it's the same with other things like, you know, food intolerances, for example, or excessive alcohol, excessive caffeine, and they have other biochemical aspects because they're a chemical of their own nature. But basically what happens is that we have, you know, the the body becomes inflamed. It becomes primed to protect ourselves just in case we have an injury. So our blood gets sticky. Our blood has inflammation um, chemicals loaded into it just in case we need to inflame a particular area to settle that down. The blood draws away from the digestive system, from the reproductive system um, and other non-essential parts of the body. So that's so when I talk about the digestive system, that also includes the immune system, which is why stress is so um, important to understand that things like, you know, lowered immunity, IBS, for example, and sometimes, you know, hormonal issues quite constantly caused, you know, or um, very, very commonly caused by stress. And then it ramps up the blood flow to other areas, so to your brain, to your heart, to your lungs. So you're actually primed to look out for danger through a stress response. So, for example, you're looking out for more and more. And so that's how we normalise stress. That's how our brain changes. And so then we actually expect stress. And and we're really good at sort of dealing with that. Mm. And the difference is that, with the brain is that we can't grow our brain in size anymore it's like let's say we've got an acre of land like it doesn't matter how we chop it up it's still an acre of land and we can do lots of different things with those acres of land but if you're going to use one part of that land for certain for looking out for danger Mm. you can't use that part to do other things yeah so the more that we can learn to be in tune with our body, this is a beautiful thing. So sitting in the middle of our brain is where we sense danger and where we sense all of those emotions. So if we've got normalised stress and we've got lots and lots of emotional um, need in terms of looking out for uh, danger, stress, etc., we're going to take away from other parts of the brain. And the best way to activate the parts of the brain that help us settle down is through body awareness. Right. Body awareness and breath. And it's almost like a gateway. It's almost like a bridge between the two worlds of our brain. And so the more that we can tune in to the felt sense of our lives, the better that we can grow the areas of the brain that can help us to, to respond and kind of reparent ourselves and settle ourselves down. So I'll often encourage people to really talk kindly to themselves it's like they're they're sweet it's like yeah okay you were you know you were scared or you were stressed and and you know allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to experience what we did experience rather than shaming ourselves for oh gosh you know stressed again or no I'm not stressed or being fearful of actually owning the fact that we have um that yeah that we're we're stressed Wow, that's fascinating. I've never heard, because I've always heard that, you know, meditation and breath work is incredibly effective and I've never underestimated that, but I've never heard it explained mm. in that way before. And that is absolutely phenomenal. And one of the things that I do a lot of work with Clementine Ford, the yeah. um, wonderful, wonderful feminist, yes. amazing. Um, amazing. And she, one of the things she talks about to kind of improve your self-talk is um, imagining all the past versions of you at different ages and talking to yourself as if you're talking to those past versions of you. So you'd never shout at yourself 
if you're a child. So imagining yeah. that you're talking to like 12-year-old you or you're talking to 20-year-old you or you're talking to 30-year-old you and looking back and talking to those past versions of yourself to kind of reconnect and have a little more sensitivity and distance from yourself. Because mm-hmm. so you, I think people find that really hard. I know I find that really hard. Like, And also that, I think, guess there's that sense of, oh, but if I'm kind to myself, then I won't push myself hard enough. Then I'll cheat myself up out of opportunity, right? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I've I've heard that myth quite a lot. And in fact, yeah. the science says that that's actually not the case. Yeah, it's just so rubbish, them- yeah. Yeah, the more that we um, – so self-compassion is a real game-changer. It's, it's, it's a real game-changer for, I think, the ability to start to look, out, look, look after ourselves. And it's interesting how we use the word hard. I think we're, we're such a culture that kind of polarises, um, you know, what we think is, you know, if, if it's hard, it's kind of not easy. And I think mm. the better way to describe it is that it's unfamiliar and so yeah. talking to ourselves with kindness is actually unfamiliar. And the brain loves familiar. Mm. So it really it goes to what is familiar because it's a storyteller. So the brain will, let's say we, we pick up like a, a tiny bit. So somebody comes into our lives mm. and they'll say one word or they'll use a, a tone of voice and we'll be like, I don't like that person. Mm. And the reason why we do that is that that, trigger has actually created a story in our own brain mm. that makes a, a quick judgment okay so it's a lower part of our our brain it's how we've evolved to be and that's a way of us kind of having a very quick very economical way of assessing a situation mm. and so when we get something that is unfamiliar to us we think that it's wrong like it's natural to kind of go, oh. but one way of, of looking at that is to kind of go, okay, well, talking to myself kindly is a very unfamiliar thing. So as I do it more and more, it becomes a familiar thing. And then my brain pathways and the neurology actually assists in that. So that then becomes normalized. And so when we get stressed or we meet someone that makes us feel um, a certain way, that we actually have some space between that automated response and and allows us then to tap into a greater part of ourselves of of acceptance and to see something greater than than what is there so we stop making assumptions and we stop running our lives through the patterns that we've evolved with and then we can start to kind of grow up and have much more nuanced ability to look at life in a whole range of different ways it's kind yeah. of choose your own adventure, you know. How, how exciting is that? Mm. You know, especially when, you know, one of the things that we need when we're burnt out is, you know, just a change. Mm. That's amazing. So obviously we, you know, we've talked about burnout and, you know, some of the solutions and obviously that self-compassion is definitely part of it. Is there anything else that we should have in our toolbox or we should start to do to um, kind of help heal ourselves from burnout yeah so I think I think the information or understanding the role that the heart plays in the body is mm. absolutely critical I think for burnout and the heart's a really interesting organ so the heart was um, evolved when you're an embryo it was fully formed and fully functioning by four weeks of age this is so cool yeah and then eight weeks later the first brain cell is made 
eight weeks. So the heart has this autonomy and this ability to be completely autonomous over itself. And so obviously as the brain cells and the nervous system evolves, the brain becomes intimately entwined with that. However, the brain always has a sense of autonomy. And so the brain can tell the heart what to do and the heart can then decide whether it will do it or not. But if the heart tells the brain what to do, it has to do it. Wow. And so that's why we can sometimes have different emotional responses with very similar brain information. Mm. And the more that we get in tune with our own body, but most importantly our heart, the more we can actually govern the whole system. And so getting into the heart space is really interesting. Mm. Firstly, we can just start to develop a relationship with our heart and doing things that the heart really loves. Now, the interesting thing about the heart is that because it was fully formed and functioning before the brain was formed, it doesn't have a language that uses words. Yeah. So its language is actually very, very subtle and it only speaks when we're silent. It speaks in sensations and it speaks in a knowingness. And you can't get that when you're completely full. So Mm. we're going to have to somehow empty the bucket, you see. And so this is where nature can become so amazing. So time in nature and time in still helps to, to create the stillness that allows the heart to speak. So I'd highly recommend as much time in nature. And the, the second thing that I would 100% recommend, and this is like my evolving theory. Yeah, yeah. But when you are in nature, and I mean real deep nature, so um, let's say you're uh, sitting, you know, on a rock that's 350 million years of age, or mm. there is just a spectacular, you're out in the desert and the night sky is just as vast as you can imagine, or whatever it could be, you know, mm. um, sitting by a raging kind of sea. What happens with that is there's a sense of awe that comes mm. with us. And awe is such an interesting um, emotion. And so there's a definition of awe that's quite extraordinary. So awe is an experience where we experience something so vast that it's almost beyond comprehension, but it's also something that we want to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's through the understanding. So this is my um, theory on this is that, I think that's the direct route to the heart. Wow, interesting. And so if we can go and seek awe when you're burnt out, mm. so, you know, see whether you can, you know, make sure that you seek awe, that's a direct route to the heart and then the heart can then start to, you can start to develop a sense of that's what feels like when my heart is awakened, when my heart is alive when my heart is pumping you know mm. through that vitality and then that reaches every cell of your body and that's the beautiful thing and then we can use the heart through trust and patience and other um, uh, sentiments mm. to guide us through a really difficult time to engage in a newness because I think the burnt out I mean you think of a burnt out match we can't relight it 
Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we've all been there when we've, you know, we've heard bad news or, you know, and we've had a heavy heart or we felt nervous and we've got butterflies in our stomach. You know, we've we've all felt these physical responses to emotions. But and that's part of this, right? You know, that part of that evidence that everything in our bodies is connected. And and that's kind of what we need. You know, we, we only realize those really obvious signals, but there's so much more going on that we should listen to, right? Mm. Oh, there's so much going on. Mm. And I think it's the experience. I think the beautiful thing I wrote about this in the book is the is the definition of mind is a very, um, uh, I guess, um, discussed sort of concept. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we talk about the mind all the time. Well, one of the beautiful aspects of the mind is that it 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 is evolving, and it is designed to evolve, and it cannot de-evolve. It can't devolve, mm. so it has to keep evolving. And it's like you look at humanity; like we evolve and we keep evolving. Mm. Like to devolve is really goes against kind of nature. Mm. And I think it's really important, like. Um, mind is thought to be how we relate to the world. Yeah. So it's almost like not a part of, it's not a structural part of, of us. Mm. It's actually within the connect, what they call it, the connectome. So how the body connects all together. Mm. So it's not just the brain, it's the brain, the heart and the lungs and the synchronicity and the 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 oscillations and the body sensations and the proprioceptions everything together creates the connectome and there's a huge project actually going on at the moment called the connectome project mm. which the research is showing that the greater your connectome the greater your well-being and potential longevity and so i think that medicine will you know, from an individual practitioner's perspective, maybe we might have to wait to get that at our general practice offices when <laughs> we're not just getting vaccines and antibiotics. But um, you know, we need we need a system that holds more than that. Mm-hmm. Like it's entrenched everything through education, through medicine, through early childhood learning, through family, through um, through whatever systems that we kind of you know utilize, and it needs to be embedded through that. So that we're not going to burn out. Yeah. Um, some people are burning out at the ripe old age of twenty five now. Well, thirty. Well, I'm thirty, and I feel entirely burnt out. A hundred percent. I feel entirely mm. burnt out. But I suppose this goes back to what you were saying about the fact that society is completely set up for burnt burnout. Mm. And it strikes me that you know the majority of what we're told is right or worthwhile is all about disconnecting our mind from our body. So like the whole concept of dieting, which I personally believe is complete bullshit, is like all about fighting exactly what your body is telling you to do and disconnecting your brain. You know, a lot of exercise now is all about forcing yourself through pain not enjoying the way your body moves and just getting through it. Like most of our careers are now set up so that you have to be so, you know, you have to wear a bloody tooth guard at night to stop yourself grinding through your own teeth. You know, you're that stressed. Like it strikes me that like almost every facet of what we're currently experiencing is just completely designed to disconnect our mind from our bodies. And, and that 
could be entirely why we're all so bloody burnt out. Yeah, and we're designed, it's designed, like our medicine is also designed to keep us on the rat wheel. You know, you might go and say, okay, well, you know, I'm stressed because of, you know, work and I'm I'm depressed. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe an antidepressant can keep you at work. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you might want to look underneath that, you know, even for, you know, um, developing skills in resilience can, can be an option too. Like mm. perhaps maybe that might be a miss, but it also could be looking at, you know, the, the load and how you communicate with people above you or how you feel empowered to, you know, call a boundary. Mm. You know, all of these things are, are, are valid to be able to explore as we evolve as individuals and um, and together throughout kind of our working careers. Yeah. And I think it's just it's very important for us to have opportunities and space to explore these things because one of the issues with burnout is that we get full so we've got no real room to really properly explore yep. some of the underlying reasons. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's another way of keeping us a bit on the rat wheel. Yep. It's like, well, how am I going to find out, you know, so the simplest solution is going to be taking, you know, a pill and that takes all of two seconds a day. Mm-hmm. You just have to have a glass of water. Done. Mm. And that's, so that's efficient. That's a time-efficient kind of solution-orientated approach. But it's not a fulfilling one. It's not an evolving one. And it's not one that is sustainable for for anyone Mm, yeah and it's not saying I'm not saying that that medication's not a not an option for people it's sometimes a very good option but I think to have that as an option without exploring the other reasons is really where the system fails people yeah and I think it's really important to kind of go okay well you know what is going on for me why am I experiencing these things because if we stop asking questions as to why how are we going to find different ways of relating to the world? Yeah. So answering questions is such an important part of, of solution-orientated approaches. And you talk to all of those design and ideas people, you know, that's another yeah. fascinating, you know, place where we could actually really explore great ways of, um, you know, helping ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, it's so true. And so if we're thinking about burnout and stress and how we deal with that, um, with this approach, what's the main thing that you want people to take away from this conversation? What's the biggest thing we should all keep in mind? So I think I love people to understand how powerful the breath is. Yeah. I know breath work is is kind of around, but even just developing a relationship to your own breath. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything fancy, sort of, you know, there's all sorts of incredible yogic breaths, you know, some to uplift you, some to, you know, relax. We actually you, have a that's but... helpful episode with a, a breath coach. People, oh, yeah, that yeah, people great. can go back to listen to and that she's amazing. She's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And the breath is just incredible because the heart and the lungs have a synchronicity. So it's called cardiorespiratory synchronicity. And so as we as we work with the breath and start to develop an understanding, we start to be able to create safety and trust and a relationship with our own body. Mm. And that's a real start. And also think about how the lungs actually massage the heart. Yeah. You know, it's like having a personal masseur for your heart. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I, know, I, I nice. love it. I love it. 
Yeah. And so then, you know, as we start to kind of just breathe and breathe in any way that, that you want to, you know, breathe slower, breathe deeper, breathe longer, um, you know, just to get to know your breath and how your breath works. I mean, a lot of people with anxiety and stress actually hold their breath a lot. Yep. Kind of breath holding. It's almost like a little kid yep. <laughs> having a breath holding attack. I can't tell you how often that occurs. Yeah. Um, same with burnout. It's like this very stiff, rigid kind of high expression up. of their breath, yeah. high up. And so bringing that deeper down into the body is a nice way. And you've got ultimate empowerment and control over your own breath. It's one thing that you do have control over. Um, we say we don't have control over much, but yeah. we do have some really good control over how we choose to use our breath. And developing that relationship can then start to develop your relationship to your body, to relationship to your brain. And it's a really incredible way in which to um, really ameliorate stress quickly. So there was a fantastic study about five years ago where they researched breathing exercises 10 minutes three times a day for six weeks mm. was as good as two years of cognitive behavioural therapy. Wow. Mm. Gosh, that's amazing. So I think not to minimise the breath, mm. you know, because as you mentioned, like it's free, it's cheap, it's simple, um, but it's incredibly powerful and it's a great introductory way for for people with burnout and stress who just do not know which next step to take, take the breath train. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so empowering oh. though, isn't it? You know, because we, you can do that right now. Like you can start mm. immediately. Everybody can find five minutes in their day, you know, just stop scrolling for five minutes, you know, scroll five minutes less. I know I could yeah. definitely afford to take that advice and <laughs> do a bit of breath work, but absolutely. That is so useful, Michelle. Thank you so much. You've absolutely blown my mind and made me feel really empowered and like I can actually tackle this. So thank you. Oh, that's a pleasure, Ed. Thanks for having me on your show. And your book that. has so much more interesting information that we haven't even touched the sides of. It's called The Wonder Within. Where can people find more information? So um, you can find it on my website at theholisticgp.com.au. And also the other thing is, um, so I've recorded quite a lot of the meditations that are in the book and breathwork, so they can find them on my website as well. And you can find them on the website live now. Fantastic. So people can go to the website to start working on their breath. Correct. Amazing. I'll put a link in the show notes can every, so everybody can find it. My God, what value we're giving people today. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> and all this is free. It's wild. <laughs> Woohoo! It's like a show bag. It's a show bag. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody leaves with a goodie bag. <laughs> yeah, look under your chair. You'll find Michelle's exactly. website. <laughs> yeah. We want the door signs. No. <laughs> amazing no it's been absolutely fantastic thank you so much that's a pleasure thanks Ed that was Dr Michelle Woolhouse she's the author of The Wonder Within I'll pop all the links to Michelle's work and those breathing exercises in the show notes for you and also if you do want to learn a bit more about breath work I'm going to link to our episode with Amy Hartley who's the founder of The Breathing Room she's been a breath coach for over 10 years and she's even developed a breathing program for schools in the UK and Australia she was super interesting I know you'll really like it I appreciate you all so much and I am going to remind you once again, this is the part where I normally ask you to review the podcast. And yes, of course, I would love for you to do that on your favorite podcasting app. That helps me out immensely. But I have another request for you. Could you please vote for That's Helpful in the Australian Podcast Awards Listener's Choice category? 
Takes two seconds, costs you nothing, but could well be a big win for little old me. It's just me here presenting, producing, putting this all for together for you guys and of course I don't have sponsors or anything so anything that you can do to help boost this little project along would be massively appreciated. I genuinely appreciate you all so much and you have no idea how much joy it's bringing me being able to connect with you guys on Instagram at that's helpful pod and also just reading your beautiful kind messages. I'm so genuinely grateful that this is genuinely helpful to you guys. I'm Ed Stott and I sincerely hope that's been helpful. I'll catch you again next week.